0: second plenary speaker is Dr. Meenakshi Jain who's a former fellow Nehru Memorial Museum and Library. Her recent publications include Parallel Pathways, Essays on Hindu-Muslim Relations, uh, The India They Saw, Foreign Accounts of India from the Eighth to the Mid-19th Century in three volumes, Rama and Ayodhya, and Sati, Evangelicals, Baptist Missionaries, and the Changing Colonial Discourse. Dr. Meenakshi Jain. Uh, I'm Meenakshi Jain, and the topic of my talk today is the Ram Janambhumi issue, the politics of academicians. This is a very interesting uh, story, and perhaps very little known outside a few small circles. This is a story of how a handful of left historians, not even 12, they have succeeded in upturning the centuries old knowledge and belief on the ayodhya issue and how they have also prevented an amicable solution to this problem till the controversy broke out in the 1980s it was unanimously accepted that babri masjid was built on the site of a ram temple in fact neither me nor any other scholar has been able to cite a single medieval account which says otherwise. All the evidence and all the accounts that we have in the medieval period, till till 1989, they all say that Babri Masjid was built on the site of a medieval temple. But this handful of left historians, they have succeeded in turning this whole accepted uh, wisdom upside down. And they have hogged the media space. And they have said that Babri Masjid was built on vacant land. And any academic or any scholar who tried to contradict their viewpoint was depicted as a fundamentalist or a fanatic. So the historians, who dominated this debate they came from three universities JNU, Delhi University and Aligarh Muslim University. There was just stray participation from one or two other universities in the whole of India otherwise all the universities in the entire subcontinent they were quiet on this issue but this handful of historians they dominated the English media And they made it seem as if their argument is the correct argument and anyone else who's opposing that thing is illiterate or a fanatic. Now, recently, uh, Dr. K.K. Muhammad, he's a former archaeologist with the ASI. He has published his autobiography. And in this autobiography, he says that there was an argument or a belief among Muslims that we should hand over Ayodhya. Because there was a section in the Muslim community who felt that we really have no claim to this site. And it means so much to the Hindus, so we should hand it over to them. And he records in his autobiography how the left historians persuaded the Muslims that you have a very strong claim on this site and don't surrender. So this is a person who was actively involved in this whole uh, debate. KK Mohammed, and he says that it was the left historians who stalled a settlement on Ayodhya, a peaceful settlement on Ayodhya. There is another recent insider account that has been published, and that is by uh, Kishore Kunal. Kishore Kunal was officer on special duty in the PMO under Prime Minister Shekhar, and V P Singh. And he has also presented detailed accounts with the original papers, because he had access to those papers. So he's reproduced them in his book. And he also shows the duplicitous behavior of the uh, left historians. All that is very well documented in his book. Now, this Ayodhya is a debate within Indian society. But a number of Western scholars have also jumped into this debate. I think most of them have sided with the left historians. The only Western scholar who has come out boldly on the Hindu side is Conrad Elst. He is the person who has written the maximum number of books on Ayudhya. No scholar, Indian or Western, has written as much, as copiously as Conrad Elst. Conrad Elst has paid a very heavy price for this because he has become, he has been ostracized by the academic community in India. And, you know, he is not, his work is not taken seriously. It is dismissed because it doesn't suit the viewpoint of left historians. Now, there are three Western scholars whose writings on, a youth, uh, whose writings on Islamic iconoclasm I would uh, like to mention very briefly. The first is a scholar uh, uh, called Richard Eaton. Well before the controversy broke out, he wrote a very influential article called Temple Destruction and Indo-Muslim States. This is an article that is so influential and has been reproduced in so many books. And every left historian of India cites this article ad There, so What does he say in this? He says that actually the Hindu fundamentalists have overplayed this theory of temple destruction. And he says, I will prepare a list of the temples that were actually destroyed. Uh, So he says that actually in the whole of the subcontinent, Not more than 80 temples were destroyed. Now, uh, this can be easily refuted. Uh, Unfortunately, apart from Ram Goyal, most uh, Hindu academics have not cared to challenge him. And uh, one important uh, uh, weakness in his argument is that he has based his account mainly on Persian sources. He has hardly cited any Hindu source on temple destruction. If I have the time in the course of question hour, I would like to discuss with you what the Hindus said about temple destruction. Because the left historians say that, you know, this so-called Hindu trauma was a thing that was invented by the British. There is no contemporary Hindu account to say what they felt when temples were destroyed. But so much evidence is there where, you know, we can hear the Hindu voice. And that has not been factored in any left work on India, and even Western scholars. Uh, The second Western scholar I would like to mention is Richard Davis. He wrote an article, The Iconography of Rams Ayodhya, in which he accused the BJP of deliberately and uh, selectively using symbols from the Ramayana to give legitimacy to their movement. Earlier, uh, Richard Davis had written a book, The Lives of Indian Images now this is a absolutely amazing book because in this richard davies argued that temple that before the turks came hindu kings used to repeatedly enter each enemy territory enemy hindu territory and appropriate the image so he said that the turks actually only followed established customs of the subcontinent now what is the I mean, it is amazing that this kind of art, and this book is quoted in every book and every article written by a left historian. But the point is that they have never said. First of all, the number of uh, instances of Hindus appropriating images from another uh, temple of a Hindu king were hardly half a dozen in the entire history of India. And then the Hindu kings who appropriated those images, they built massive temples in honor of those images. They did not desecrate the images. So this is really, you know, uh, playing with the truth. Conrad, I was just mentioning your contribution to the Ayodhya movement. I put that on record. So uh, the, uh, so finally, I would uh, like to mention uh, Sheldon Pollock. He has written two very, very influential articles on concerned with the Ayodhya movement. The first is Ramayana and the Political Imagination. And the second is Deep Orientalism, notes on Sanskrit and power beyond the Raj. Basically, uh, Sheldon Pollock's argument is that before the Turks came to India, the Ramayan dominated only the literary f- sphere. And he says that it was only after the Turkish advent that the Ramayan came to inhabit the political sphere. Now, this is an argument that can be very easily challenged. I have quoted, I mean, there are inscriptional, uh, sculptural, literary evidence uh, which can contradict uh, Sheldon Pollock. I have listed all that in my book. I don't want to uh, get into that. Uh, But just one thing I will say, that all the evidence points to the fact that by the fifth century AD, the transformation of Ram from an epic hero to an incarnation of Vishnu, to supreme reality, had been accomplished and Ram had become an all India phenomenon. Now, since my topic is on left historians, I'd like to uh, come to that. Uh, The left intervention began in 1989, when uh, the JNU historians brought out a pamphlet, the political abuse of history, Babri Masjid and the Ram Janambhumi dispute. And soon after this, historians from JNU and AMU also joined in. Now, all these uh, historians from these three universities, JNU, AMU, and DU, they all made the same basic points. Uh, they said that present-day Ayodhya was, is not the Ayodhya of olden times. The Ayodh, Present-day Ayodhya was actually known as Saket and was a Buddhist stronghold Then they said Ram worship was an 18th, 19th century phenomena. Babri Masjid was built on vacant land. And the Hindu-Muslim divide was created by the British at Ayodhya. So I'll just take up these very briefly. Uh, Left historians have attempted to prioritize Ayodhya's Buddhist and Jain links. Uh, Buddhist, Jain and Hindu sacred structures have existed alongside in India through the centuries. There has never been any dispute like at Ayodhya and Kashi. And today, uh, Professor Nagaswami was also giving so many examples in the talk before mine. Uh, Ayodhya was undoubtedly sacred to the Buddhists and Jains. Buddha is believed to have preached in that city. And the first and fourth Jain Tirthankars were born in Ayodhya. Like Ram, Buddha and the Jain Tirthankars belonged to the Ikshvaku clan. But over time, the Buddhist and Jain influenced declined and Ram worship remained a living reality. Now, as far as the identification of Ayodhya is concerned, the Ramayana itself mentions Saket Nagar as the capital of King Dashrath. So there is no dispute about it. And Tulsidas, the composer of the Ram Charitmanas, attached so much importance to Ayodhya that he came to the city of Ram's birth and began working on Ram's birthday. So that is the importance that Ram had. And what left historians have done is that they've always tried to downplay the importance of Valmiki Ramayana and highlight Buddhist and Jain versions just to create division. Uh, But the point is that, uh, and Ram's story occurs in three Buddhist jatak tales. But no Buddhist scholar regards any jatak older than Valmiki Ramayana. And the Jain Ramayans are also much older than Valmiki Ramayans and they are totally indebted to Valmiki Ramayans. So Valmiki's Ramayans is the earliest recognized version of the Ram story. It was always the most popular and the most widely accepted. Valmiki composed his Ramayans in the 4th or 3rd century BC. Though Akhyans, ancient ballads, had been reciting Ram's story orally several centuries before that. The religious significance of Ram evolved on the basis of his representation in Valmiki's work. It was around the core of Valmiki's text that subsequently developed the view of Ram as God incarnate. Now, uh, the left historians have said that the dispute at Ayodhya was engineered by the British as a part of their strategy of Divide and rule. But there is so much evidence that well before the British came on the scene, Hindus were trying to reclaim their sacred spot, not just in Ayodhya. Uh, for example, the Marathas, from 1751, we have evidence of the Marathas trying to reclaim uh, sacred spa- uh, spaces in Banaras, uh, Prayag, Ayodhya, etc. And I won't go into the details because time is short. And I want to give one example of Jaipur ruler. In the uh, Sabai Man Singh Museum, there are original documents dated 1717, 1717 AD. That is some soon after the death of Aurangzeb. And these documents show that Savai Jaisingh bought the land on which the Janambhumi temple stood from the Mughals. And he vested the ownership of that land in the DT, which is the case always in India. So this land had actually been bought by the Mughals and there are documents to support all this. I just want to make a point that there has been no left response to any of this. And I also want to say that the Hindus were not the only ones who were trying to reclaim their sacred space. The Sikhs are a very notable community and when the Mughal Empire declined, in the mid-18th century, just one small Sikh ruler came from Punjab to Delhi and he reclaimed all the sites that were associated with the gurus. Wherever Guru tegh Bahadur, Guru Gobind Singh, all those sites he reclaimed and built small gurdwaras over there. And today we see those big gurdwaras at Rakab Kanj, etc., Sees Ganj, Those are actually built on small gurdwaras that... This one single a Sikh chieftain, he was not even the ruler of the whole of. So the attempt to reclaim is not something which is associated with fundamentalist reactionary Hindus. It was something that the larger community was also doing. And uh, uh, just before I come to the rest of my thing, I was, I'm presently doing some research. And on, uh, when I was doing this research, I came across a memorial. It is called the Muslim Memorial which was presented by the rulers of Banaras to the British in 1812. And in that m- memorial, the Muslims are complaining to the British that the Hindus always trouble us because wherever we go, they'll put their God over there. And they say that this Gyan Vyapi Mosque, which is now ours, which was built by Aurangzeb on the site of the Hindu famous Hindu temple, so he says in 1812, they have come and put Ramlalla idols inside the mosque. Masjid also. I mean, this is a fact which is not known to many people. We think that Ayodhya is a stray case. But I have now, uh, during the course of my research, I have come across so many cases where the Hindus, whenever they get the opportunity, they were going and putting their idol inside a mosque, which was originally a temple. And I can, I mean, when we discuss this later on, I can, you know, this is a very, very fascinating topic, which has not received the attention uh, that it deserves. So... Uh, Just to come to Ayodhya, uh, we have eyewitness accounts. I won't get into the details because time is running out. The first is in 1608. It's a Western scholar, a Western traveler. He did not know that there was going to be controversy 200 years later. He wrote that, you know, the Hindus are over here and uh, whatever they do. And then there's another traveler, 1766. Now, the left has not responded to any of these travelers. In fact, uh, I bought out a book recently, just two days ago, The Battle for Ram, Case of the Temple at Ayodhya, in which I have shown how one of the uh, uh, travelers whom the left has dismissed, Irfan Habib calls him a little known traveler. And he was one of the most uh, uh, you know, uh, famous orientalists, the early orientalists who wrote so much about India. Uh, but just to leave that aside, uh, to come to the uh, dispute at Ayodhya, uh, in 1858, the British begin their direct rule. Because in 1857, there was a the great revolt, and after that, they begin their rule. So from 1858 onwards, till 1947, there are so many cases which were filed in the Faizabad District Court. And those papers were presented to the Allahabad High Court when it began, uh, you know, Examining this dispute. And it is a miracle, maybe some divine power that is working, that these documents, there was no attempt made to preserve them or something, but somehow they have survived. And the most important document is dated 1858. It is an FIR filed by the Thanedar of that area. And he files an FIR that, you know, 25, 6 have entered the Babri Masjid. And they have started Havan and Puja and they've put a chin off Bhagwan. And so, you know, I'm filing this report. So two days after this report, the Muttawali, that is the superintendent of Babri Masjid, he himself writes a report to the British. So one one one-page report, and these have survived from 1858 onwards. If they had not survived, we would have no evidence. So from 1850. So the Muttawali, the superintendent of Babri Masjid, he files a complaint to the British and he says that, you know. These six have entered, and with koila, charcoal, they have put, written Ram, Ram all over the walls of the masjid. And he says that outside the masjid, in the open compound, that is, the you know, within the boundary wall, but the open space. He said that was with the Hindus for such a long time. And the Janamsthan is there, and they have been worshipping over there. But now they have come inside the masjid also. So that means, in 1858, We have the first hand account of the superintendent of Babri Masjid who is saying to the British that the area outside the masjid but within the compound was with the hands of the Hindus for a long time and now they have entered the masjid also. So that means the Hindus had established claim to the entire premises and this is an eyewitness account uh, which we cannot doubt and it is surprise five minutes. Oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? Okay, so I will say that from 1858 onwards, there are many, many cases, which, uh, you know, if you are interested, you can look at the Yodhya Judgment or you can look in my book, where these are authenticated documents produced at that time. Not by Hindu fundamentalists, not by BHP, not by BJP. And it is a miracle that they have survived. Uh, Then I'll just, uh, I won't go into all this. Uh, I will just say that... There is, in the revenue records from 1860, there is no mention of Babri Masjid. There is no waqf created for Babri Masjid. And then, uh, this is a very important thing because this is something that has recently come to light. I'll just uh, take this example because this is very important. For two decades, for 20, almost 20 years, Irfan Habib led a campaign saying that the inscription that was found in the, after the demolition in 1992, he said it was stolen, it was planted there by the VHP and it has actually been stolen from Lucknow Museum. The Lucknow Museum inscription is called Treta Ka inscription and the inscription found at Babri Masjid is called Vishnu Hari inscription. Till now no photograph had been published of the Treta Ka inscription because the Lucknow Museum was not giving access to all of us, any of us. For the first time Kishore Kunal because he was in the PMO, he had the clout, he went to Lucknow Museum and insisted on taking a photograph of that Treta Thakur inscription. That Treta Thakur inscription is totally different from the Vishnuhari inscription. So it shows, it, it shows that Irfan Habib and company were deceiving the nation for 20 years by saying that the inscription is stolen. That stolen inscription is very much there in the Lucknow ins- uh, Museum. The photograph of that has been published, and Kishore Kunal also managed to see the records of, Ayodhya, of, of the Lucknow Museum for the year 1953. The record shows that this inscription has come from Faizabad, and this is the number. It exactly matches the Tirta Ka Thakur inscription. So, you know, I uh, I just uh, don't know how to stop or where to stop. The ASI report, the excavations, everything you all know. I will just say in conclusion that I can go on citing so much evidence which is from that period, which cannot be challenged. But there has been no response from left historians, either on this inscription or on the voluminous evidence which was presented at the Allahabad High Court, including the the disputes at Fazabad. So there has been no response. They will just go on saying, now we are appealing to the Supreme Court. On what basis can they expect the Supreme Court to alter the judgment of the allah High Court? Have they been able to produce one medieval account which says that Babri Masjid was built on vacant land? Have they been able to uh, contradict these statements of the Mutawalli and the FIR, etc? What have they said on Treta Ka Thakur inscription now that the photograph has been published? There has been no response of the left on any of this voluminous evidence that contradicts them. But it is a tribute, I think, to their muscle power, to their domination in the media, that uh, nobody else has a voice, and they are projected as the true, uh, you know, inheritors of the. Uh, the they are there depicting the true story of India. And again, I'm going to say that the only Western academic who came out strongly for Ayodhya and wrote the maximum books on Ayodhya is Conrad Elst. But he has been demonized because he has had the courage to say this. Thank you.
1: Excellent talk. Thank you. Uh, I have a comment. Yeah. I want your views on it. I think the, when the Hindus were arguing on this matter, they made a mistake. Uh, in arguing because it distracted from the real merits of the case. The opposing side challenged the existence of Ram.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Okay. And the Hindus should have said it is irrelevant.
0: Yes, absolutely. Beca- I agree with because, you.
1: Because whether this, whether this church belongs to you, has nothing to do with the, whether God exists. Absolutely.
0: This is a very Hindu, fundamental in, in, error. that Hindus
1: they went wild proving yes. Ram yes. exists. Yes. It's yes. written here. It's yes. written there. Yes. How do you yes. do this? Yes. And you know, the actual the case has to do with whether Hindus own this land and own the temple. Absolutely. Whether they uh, did it for Ram or for Mickey Mouse doesn't matter.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. It, it, irrelevant. This was but a fundamental this is, weakness. Th- this is
1: a typical problem Hindus have yes. not knowing how to argue. Absolutely. Hindus don't know how to argue.
0: Yes, yes. They get
1: carried away emotionally. Yes,
0: yes. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely, I agree with you. Hi, my name is Hemant Naidu. Uh, I have a a question. If I understand it correctly in your book, uh, Rama and Ayodhya, you mention that Hindu kings used the iconography of Ram and even assumed the title Rama.
0: Because uh, my argument is that Ram was the exemplar of Hindu society. So everybody tried to take that title and to emulate him well before the Turks came.
2: But how, how, are the left, uh, how is the left using
0: that, uh, that uh, uh, the, the practice of assuming the title of Ram? No, no, this is a question. This is not left. This is what Sheldon Pollock said. Mm-hmm. He said that before uh, the dispute broke out, he wrote this article, Ramayana and the Political Imagination, in which he said it was only after the Turks came to India and the Turkish invasions began that Hindu kings started ex- uh, uh, calling themselves Ram Aftars that they are on earth to complete the task that Ram had undertaken against evil forces. But uh, what I'm saying is that before that, there is cultural, epigraphic and inscriptional evidence that Hindus were invoking the name of Ram because he was the exemplar. He exemplified the Hindu search for dharma, earth, you know, he was the exemplar of dharma. I could not
2: register one fact which you were mentioning about Maharaja of Jaipur buying some land from the Mughals. Could you please elaborate? Uh,
0: See, uh, the Jaipur uh, records, the Jaipur uh, archives, they have a lot of documents relating to Ayodhya. There are about eight, 10 maps that they have that were prepared at that time. And uh, Jai Singh, uh, actually, he was a very important Mughal mansabdar, and he tried to bargain so wherever he was posted he would set up jaisingpuras that is fortified townships and he did that in all important uh, hindu sacred cities but uh, like mathura etc prayag so when Aurangzeb died in 1707 then uh, the mughal emperors uh, were not as powerful and the mughal empire was in decline and he felt that he was able to negotiate with them so he said that this land on which, Bab, uh, they didn't call it Babri Masjid, it's a Janmastan land. It should be in the possession of the DT. So he, the sale deed is there, dated 1717. And the Mughal emperor says that from now on, uh, he's the, this thing and no taxes or anything will be levied. So that original document of 1717 is there in the Jaipur archives. Where Jai Singh buys this land, and west it in the
2: deity. Uh, this is also in connection with uh, what Rajiv mentioned. Hmm. In, this, uh, uh, in this case of uh, uh, Ayodhya, uh, Babri structure dispute, uh, one of the observations is also, rather the judgment is also based on the right of the deity. Yes. On, on the property.
0: See, uh, Kaatyaayin, the lawgiver, he said that a temple property can never be lost. Even if the DT has not been worshipped there for hundreds of years, once a land is, belongs to the DT, it belongs to the DT forever.
2: And also, the DT is considered, if I'm not uh, wrong, as perpetual minor. Yes. So, how because does, how does this judgment, or whether it gets, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, supported by the Supreme Court, how that affects uh, the temples which are getting managed by the governments in different states?
0: Now, you know, the temple, uh, the DT being a minor is because the dt cannot actually protect his interests. so this thing was created actually in the british period to say that you know somebody else will be fighting for him in this ramlalla case if there if there was no friend of ramlalla then who would fight the court cases and uh, there is a lot of problem about this uh, thing who's the DT, uh, you know there's, because the government is now saying that we are the they, they are assuming the right. So when they assume the right, they are saying all the income of the temple is our income and we can spend it any way we want. But they dare not do that with any other uh, religious faith. You know, there the community is the owner. So this case, this is being uh, deliberated upon. Let's hope
2: that... I would uh, like say This case of Ram In the यह अपोजिशन ने मुद्दा नहीं निकाला था कि राम यह वास्तविकता है या फिक्टिशियस है यह मुद्दा तो फिर जजमेंट इसमें राम सेतु के समय फिर निकाला था और उस समय सोनिया गांधी ने कह दिया था कि राम इज अ कैरेक्टर और उसके ऊपर जब देश भर में से बहुत सारा कुछ आंदोलन वगैरह हुआ तब वो वापस लिया गया स्टेटमेंट वाज टेकन बैक बाय द
0: इलाहाबाद हाई कोर्ट इट that it is not for us to determine. The fact that people believe that Ram was born there. So, faith has determined and it is f- not for us to question the faith. They were very clear on this, that fictitious that is not for us. The point is, millions of people believe that Ram was born there and the court cannot question the faith of millions. That is what the…
1: See, I think the existence of god is irrelevant to the rights of uh, of a uh, house of worship uh, that is completely irrelevant you don't have to prove that allah exists uh, yes. in order to prove that the mosque uh, is valid it is that is not the standard and, the ho- and hindus should never accept that we have to prove that same standard because Absolutely. It, it's a foolish thing to accept that we have to prove it and start Absolutely. proving it because Absolutely. then we are falling in a trap yes now as far as rights of my minority are concerned the deity rights of deity are concerned because the deity is a minority, needs a custodian who is looking after the yes. property. Hmm. So the government has said, they are the, they are not denying the right of deity. They are saying we are the custodian. That is what the yeah, government yeah. has done.
0: But that, that is harming the temple. Because yes, yes, the yes. income is t- being taken away no, from no, the temple. No, no,
1: because what they are saying, see, you have to always understand the other side's position in order to argue against yeah. it properly. Yeah. yeah. So they are saying, in many cases, the there was corruption, let's say. There's mm. an excuse, of course. Mm. So th- in the interest of the deity, yes. these people are corrupt and they are yes. not looking after it. We will intervene, resolve the fight, and we will be a better custodian. That is the yeah. way it's written. Like parents fighting and abusing the child, the state can take over the child yeah. to look after the child better than the parents were able to. Yeah. So this is their argument. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I just want to make one point, if I can, the last point. You see, uh, we have uh, all, you know, heard about temple destruction, and uh, but we have not cared to examine the story beyond that. The point is, the temples were huge structures; they could not be protected, so they had to be, you know, they could be easily destroyed because they cannot move. But the point is that the deity that was being worshipped in the temple, it could be protected by removing him from the deity so there is so much evidence that even I have just started research on this have come across how the Hindu ordinary Hindu devotees believers they pick up the image and where where they go trying to protect that image that is a story that is waiting to be told so it is not just a Yodhya for every major temple you can cite that the image is taken away. For example, Ranganath Temple. For 70 years, Lord Ranganath went on going from village to village, village to village. And finally, when the Vijayanagar kings are powerful, then one chieftain of theirs brings back Sri Ranganath from Tirupati, where he had finally gone. And they were so conscious of history. This whole myth that the Hindus were not conscious of history, it can be totally debunked only on the basis of what happened to their temples. So, this person brings back Sri Ranganath from Tirupati, and when he reinstalls him at the Ranganath temple, he also puts an inscription there that I, so and so, have reinstated Lord on this temple. I have brought him from Tirupati, where he was, and he was in exile from his temple for 70 years. All the major temples, I have been able to find some evidence or the other how the deity is protected and reinstated later on. That Hindu sense, that memory. I'll just give you one last example. This Kaleshwar, Mahakaleshwar in Ojain. Now this Mahakaleshwar temple was destroyed by Iltutmish sometime in 1320 or something. No, no, no trace of it left. After that we don't know what happened to that site. But 500 years later, that is in 17 so and so, the Peshwar tells one of his agents now we are powerful in this region. Rebuild the Kaleshwar temple. So imagine, after they still remember for 500 years that you know we had a temple over here, and 500 years later the temple is built. So the mahakaleshwar temple that you see in Ujjain today is something on the same site where the original temple stood. That a new temple was built 500 years later. There's so many such cases. Thank you.
1: To help me, you can do two things. You can go to the subscribe button on my YouTube and subscribe. We need more subscribers there. Uh, Secondly, I get lots of emails on people saying how do we donate? How can we help you? Uh, You go to rajimulhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button. You can donate in dollars. There are different ways mentioned. If you want to donate in rupees, there is a column called uh, infinity foundation India. And you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in India.